Work history is an informative and fun deep dive into the workers behind the professions. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend, a jackette of all trades. We'll cover the ins and outs of jobs, careers, and the daily grind that led professionals to where they are and where they're going. On today's show, we're going to talk with a consultant by the name of Michael Ryder. Hi, Michael, and welcome to Work History. Hello. How are you doing, Cassie? I'm doing great. Uh, my question, first question for you is, what is an, a, a consultant? Well, for me, it's a lot of different things. It's kind of just a broad term. I'm, I'm basically talking with different game companies, developers, about ways that I might be able to help them based on my experience. And it could be everything about managing people, about leadership. It could be about the best ways to develop games. It's, it's a pretty broad term. Cool. So you have experience in the video game industry. I do. I've, I've been in, I've worked in the video game business for about 25 years. Wow. That's amazing. Um, that's actually how I know you. Right. Uh, so something I learned from my last podcast that I just recorded, which is I need to t- say where I'm at because <laughs> <laughs> I realized that I've not been saying that. So I'm currently in Washington state, but I don't know you from Washington state. I actually know you from SoCal, Southern California. Right, and uh, I know you because at uh, I got a job working at a, a computer video game place and uh, making kids video games, and that's where I met you. And I'm not sure what your job title was, but I know in technical terms you were my double skip level. Right, <laughs> I was I was heading up um, all of the studios for that company, so they had studios initially just in in Southern California, but over time we acquired or built other studios that were in different locations in the world, in England, uh, Vancouver, uh, Salt Lake City. So we built a larger organization and the QA function where I met you Uh was supporting all of those studios and all of those games. Awesome. One of my, I've got two of my favorite memories from that place. One of them does involve you. Uh, so don't get too embarrassed, but it it does it only evol- involves you in the fact that you were in the room. But do you remember when we had those? Um, there were decks that people were giving a PowerPoint decks, and we had that giant room with the huge sliding door. I do remember that. Room. That was a yes. really cool door. <laughs> <laughs> like that was one of my favorite uh, places to work aesthetically because of that door. Yeah, I think we used to review the status of the different games, how they were doing. Yeah. You know, look at them, evaluate them. Are they fun? Are they are they costing the right amount of money? Are they taking as long as we thought they would take? So we used that room, and I think we used to have long meetings in there about once every month. Yeah, yeah. I remember a once-a-month meeting that was was like, I have to wear the really nice shirt today. Michael Ryder's <laughs> going to be there. I got to make sure I look presentable because he, he's got a tip-top ship shop shape <laughs> place and I got to look right and have everything be cross my T's, dot my I's. It, was a, it, it wasn't a stressful negative. It was just like a, you're, you were such an honored role there that I was like, wow, I need to do good, and my my team better be good, and my game better be good, and I better get all the A-bugs. All right, so my second question for you is, as a consultant, what is your typical day? Like, how do you, do you work from home? Do you have an office? Do you 
you know, what's your day look like? Again, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, my days, some days I don't do much. I may have a phone, couple phone calls. I might do some research. I might write some emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, other days I may be in the office at whoever I'm consulting with, mm-hmm. and that might be for an hour or two, or it could be for all day. Um, and so it just depends. Right now it's a pretty um, flexible situation because I have different people I'm working with and uh, in different ways. So it's it, every week is different. Every day is different. Fantastic. Great. And you are still based in Washington now? Right. So, I live in West Seattle, and, uh, and most of the people I'm working with have offices in the Seattle area. Okay. Some of them uh, have their main offices in other places. Some mm. of them are overseas. Oh, wow. So it's, it just depends on the situation with those, with those companies. So do you have a good passport then? <laughs> I, well, I, I haven't been traveling so much in the last few years, but there, there have been times in the past when I was on the airplanes a lot. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, I actually, personal note, I just signed up yesterday to get a new passport. I had one back in my early 20s, and it never got stamped because I've never been out of the country. And that was, uh, I just, I don't know, I had a passport, but I never left. So, um, So I got it yesterday. Well, I started the process yesterday took the picture and all that and um i told myself that in 2023 when my passport comes in so hopefully by the time this episodes come out i've already been out of the country but when my passport comes in the first thing i'm going to do whether i'm in washington i'm going to go to canada and if i'm in texas because that's where i'm going next then i'm going to go to mexico i'm just going to cross the border get stamped and say yes i did it (laughs) yeah that that's actually for me was one of the side benefits of, of, of working was that there in these times when I was working with studios and companies that were literally all over the world, um, I got, had the opportunity to travel to Europe a lot, travel to Asia a lot. There was one time wow. I made a trip that was literally around the world where I went to Europe and then to Asia and then back to the U.S. Wow. And I, I, I really learned um, to love all the cultural interfaces, getting to know different people yeah. and just what was different one place to the next, it becomes a little bit of a, um, it's hard to, to live without once you've kind of had it because there's so much variety in your life when you're traveling like that. So I did enjoy yeah. it, but it's also exhausting. At oh, some point. Yeah, it is. It is definitely. I, I know this for a fact. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's go back in time. When you were a kid, what was your dream job when you were a little kid? Wow. Well, it's an easy answer. Uh, okay. I wanted to be a baseball player. Baseball player? Yeah, I, I love sports, and I always thought of myself as a future baseball player or football player, something like that. And I've kind of held on to that aspiration. I'd still like to be a baseball player, but um, it didn't really work out for me that <laughs> way. <laughs> Did you ever work on any baseball video games? Uh no, I have I never worked on any sports video games. As well, I take it back. We did do a little bit of of work with soccer at one point and also um well, NASCAR if you consider that a sport. I yeah, worked on NASCAR sport. for a while. Yeah. yeah. They risk their lives. Yes. Number 3. Um <laughs> Sorry, I'm from North Carolina. And, and sorry to of... all the NASCAR people there. I don't mean to say anything <laughs> demeaning. I just 
Not that some no, people may think all. it's because it's anyway. It just goes Sorry. around and around. I, I once, when I was in college, we had to write skits and stuff, you know, because I was in theater arts education. So I had a writing class, and in one of them, we had to write a skit, and I wrote a Saturday Night Live skit about NASCAR, and my the, the announcer was just like, and they go round and round, look, they're going round again. It was the dumbest skit. Well, but. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because when we did work on that, on NASCAR, I learned a lot, and mm-hmm. I did have the opportunity to be close to the pits and go to some of the races. And I found that to be incredibly fascinating of the, there's way more sophistication there at that level than I think a lot of people would ever realize. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Those pit workers are fast. That's, I wish they would get a job at Jiffy Lube (laughs) or Meineke, you know, actually the, the game that we made was really more of a simulation and by that, I mean that we were trying to go for as much realism as possible. Mm-hmm. So it turned out that a lot of the drivers used that as when they were going to a track that they may not be familiar with. They would use that game huh. as a way to sort of familiarize themselves with the track because our tracks were so accurate. Wow. So so that was kind of fun, too, that they appreciated it. For the drivers, it was almost like a uh, a training assist or something. That's amazing. Are you able to see the title of that? Uh, it was a while back. It was a NASCAR PC title. Okay, on and, PC. And, and okay. I don't think they're doing it anymore. I mean, but it exists out there in the world. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, it's I'm out sure there somewhere. On eBay, you could find it for a couple grand. I don't yes. know. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. All right, so baseball player. Did you ever, um, when you were in college, I don't know if you went to college, did you go to college? I did. I went to the Naval Academy uh, oh, fun. For, for college. Did you play sports ball there? I did. I played, well, you had to do intramurals there if you were not in an intercollegiate. And so, uh, which was great. And so I was, played football there um, in intramurals. I played baseball intramurals. I played a, what is, a, they had a what, very bizarre game called field ball that, <laughs> that, uh, that I played a lot. Yeah. And it was very sort of violent. It was kind of like football and lacrosse mixed. And, uh, more like and rugby? I boxed. I was, I was a boxer for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just talked to a boxer. She wasn't like a, I don't know if she ever actually boxed box, but I know she was training to be a boxer. Yeah. Sorry, you asked me a question. Back yeah. There. What is intramural? So it means that, you know, within a place like the Naval Academy, there are, I think, 36 companies this way it's organized. Mm-hmm. And so every company has different, has participated in these leagues within the, within the school. So oh. we were playing against other companies in the in the school for these different sports. Okay, so you would never play outside of the Naval Academy; right. it's just within the Naval Academy. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, all right, I say a lot, trying to work on it. So, what was your first job ever? Were you a paper boy? Were you? Did you have a? Um, I don't peg you for a babysitting type. I did. I, you did. I was a babysitter, but that I was a I was a paper boy before that. You were a paper yeah, boy. I yes, was. my yeah, first paper yeah. boy. Yeah, well, it was kind of my dream job at that age. Yeah. And then um my my first real job where I actually got a regular paycheck and everything, I worked in a grocery store. Actually, I think sorry, I misspoke. I think you're my second paper boy. Oh yeah, sorry. I think Paolo Garbanzo was a paper boy as well. 
and okay. I just didn't remember in the moment. I was so excited. Thanks for correcting that. Yeah. I've... I mean, the listeners are going to write in and it's going to be madhouse. Um, so I apologize. Um, I might have to do a corrections corner in every episode. You got to keep the lore straight. Right. Exactly. Okay. So sorry. I interrupted you. Um, supermarket. You were a grocery store. A grocery yeah. store. Yeah. And that was a, I love that job. That's cool. Were you the checker? Were you a bag person? I started out, I was a bagging person. Okay. And then I was so awesome at it that they promoted me to be a stock boy. Which, of course. Which yeah. meant in those days that I was basically the person stamping the price on the cans and so forth and nice. putting them on the shelves. And, uh, and I actually did well enough in that role that they gave me my own aisle to manage, which was the soap oh. aisle. Ooh. Yeah, but when I, my first big uh, failure was one weekend we ran out of Tide, and oh, there no. were a lot of people that wanted to kill me. Yeah, so, I'm sure. But that was, you know, those were my early jobs. It was a tidal wave. <laughs> yeah. That was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. That's really cool. I also worked in a supermarket. You worked at a grocery store specifically. What's the difference between grocery and supermarket? I guess Boy, you got me. Supermarket um, or I just, I just always. I was. In, I grew up in Chicago, and oh, okay. We. My recollection is we always said grocery store. We didn't say supermarket very often. Yeah, it could be colloquial. To, it could be to the intercultural. Yeah, things. to the area. I don't know. Uh, I worked at Ingalls, an Ingalls supermarket, which is in North Carolina, and I was a checker, and I just did the beep boops, you know. I was very fast at it. And I also had to bag my own groceries, bagging for other people. Yeah, bagging's like Tetris. Yeah, and nobody likes when when somebody... I, I like a certain type of bag. I like it heavier than most people, and so I would bang, bag it rather heartily, and people would get mad at me for that. But I get mad when I go to a checkout, and they bag it like one item per bag. I'm like, what are you doing? Right. You can put bananas on top of eggs. They will not weigh it down, and they're both fragile. They go together, you know, and throw the bag of marshmallows in there because it's all light. It's fine. Um, so that was always – it's always frustrating to me <laughs> to go through the other people bagging my stuff. Uh, do you find that, or did you find that in your life? Did you ever get – I don't think we had as many options because this, uh, this was back in the – 60s and there were not plastic bags in those days everything was paper paper yeah and so it was really a single bag or a double bag that was the complexity oh yeah right there. double bags i remember double bags yeah yeah but i mean did you ever uh, throughout your adulthood did you ever go man i was so much better at this than, than this person <laughs> Yeah, there's times when I have to hold myself back because I start to give the people advice on a smarter way to bag some groceries, but yeah, I, I realize yeah. that that's usually not appreciated very much, so <laughs> I try to keep my mouth shut. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so what was your uh, – did you do the supermarket job or grocery job when you were in high school? Yes. All right. That was my – It was after school. My source of income in high school. All right. And – then right out of high school, did you know what you wanted to be then? No. I, when I went to the Naval Academy, um, there was a lot going on. Vietnam was happening. Oh, yeah. And um, I had, a, I had a, a brother-in-law who was in the Navy that came back from Vietnam. He was on a swift boat. And talking with him, it, I had this 
feeling of patriotism and all that. So that was one of the reasons I was interested there. Mm-hmm. I also thought that I might be able to play football there uh, because it, yeah. they usually had smaller teams and I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And uh, so there were a number of reasons. I also thought it would be a great education, but it wasn't so much that I was envisioning being an admiral someday. It was more about, I thought it was a good alternative for me to go to a good school yeah. and, um, and in a place that was relatively far away from home because it was I was growing up in Chicago and the Naval Academy is on the East Coast uh, near Right, it's near a way Baltimore. to get out. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. That's a good a good concept. I took the ASVABs when I was in college or high school and I was told I could be um uh it was manager level in the Air Force. And I was like, "What?" I still have to go to boot. (laughs) Don't, don't try to tell me I'm going to be somebody higher than what I'm going to be when I get, I know, I know your game, (laughs) but I had family members who were in the Navy. So I, I knew like my, um, my dad was in the, uh, he was in the seals. Uh, the guy that, that the home that I live in right now in Washington, uh, the owner of the home, he was a seal. His draft number was nine. Yeah, my number my draft nine. number was pretty high. I don't think it was as as I don't think it was nine. But <laughs> if I wasn't in the Naval Academy, I probably would have been drafted. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think you made the better choice to get the. It worked out that way. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. So, what job did you have? Did you were you able to do a job when you were in the Naval Academy? No, that was pretty much my job, and 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 then the uh, summers we had. I think. Uh, 30 day break, mm. but the rest of the summer we were on other training things. So one summer it was being on a ship, uh, for the cool. whole summer, uh, another time it was getting experience with the different services. So you had a little bit of time with the Marine Corps, a little bit of time with, uh, Naval aviation, cool. had a little bit of time with submarine, uh, experience just to give you a little bit more view of what these different alternatives might be when you graduated. Yeah. And, um, and there was one summer where it was more of a leadership challenge where you're basically working with the new, the plebes as they were called, the the, the new students. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we we didn't have the summers off. So that was my job. Gotcha. And I'm sure you, you probably had to upkeep stuff there. Like was part of your education also cleaning and like, did they, did they assign you things? Oh yeah, we had lots of assignments. PT, I think is yeah, we had PT, PT, and um, it wasn't exactly like boot camp. I think the first summer when you're a plebe, they they want to give you that experience of feeling like you're new. You're sort of going through what uh, anybody would go when they join. So yeah. that first summer is is pretty rough. They call it plebe summer, and it's very <laughs> um, physically demanding, mm-hmm. and you're getting used to being lost around and right. saying. Yes, yes sir, sir, no, sir, aye, yeah. aye, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was it was one of those experiences that I probably wouldn't want to do it again in this lifetime, mm-hmm. but I'm glad I did it once. Okay, good to know, good to know. Did you have any odd jobs in your vast career? Odd jobs. Well, one odd job was one, one year I was playing basketball uh, toward the end of the school year at, at Annapolis, and I, I got upended in the – we were outside, and I got 
flipped upside down and landed on my chin <laughs> on the pavement, and I broke my jaw in three places. Ouch. So I was Ouch. in the hospital for a little while, and I had my, wire, my jaw wired shut. And that particular summer was the one where you get to uh, get the taste of the Marine Corps and the, uh, the submarine service, the aviation. I missed all of that for oh, myself. No. But that summer, they sent me home. So I, had a long, I actually had a longer summer mm. at home that year. And there was a guy down the street that ran a warehouse downtown Chicago. And he said he was having a little bit of trouble getting things done. And he asked me to work for the rest of the summer for him in the warehouse. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to make a little bit of money and get some exercise. Yeah. And so I did it. And that was a very strange, a very strange job. <laughs> well, what did he have in the warehouse? Well, just if you can imagine, it was a place where they would file away business records for different companies. And so it was essentially this gigantic warehouse full of boxes, full of files. Oh. And people would come in and say, hey, that I need a contract from like 10 years ago. It's in here somewhere, and we would have to go find it oh and carry it down. And it was a, kind of an old, cold, dusty place. File clerk. And the other, the other employees didn't really like the fact that I was trying to please this guy that brought me in. And so I was, and plus, I, I wanted to work hard. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, anyway, that was an interesting time. I get that. Too. Very odd job. I, I got that as well. Um, a lot of jobs that I work, I work really hard i'm just a hard worker i like working it's a weird thing i was trained right i guess and i had one um a pa we worked at a graphics place uh, it was a an advertising agency they did interstitials for bravo and then i and then they had a, a print area and they did all the print work for um, game of thrones for example and i was working at the office and literally one of the PAs go, hey, can you stop working so hard? You're making the rest of us look bad. And I was like, Ex excuse me, they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to compromise who I am and work less because you want a cushy job. Like, yeah, that I was can put together a chair. <laughs> that was <laughs> essentially the, the situation that I found myself in there. So yeah. fortunately, it was only for a couple months, and then I was That's on my good. way. So it was probably good that I moved on. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. When did you get involved in video games? Okay, so you, you did in Annapolis, right? And then after Annapolis, what did you do? Okay, so um, when I was there, the Navy was building a lot of nuclear-powered ships, and they <laughs> needed people to run them. Mm -hmm. And so there was a big push for people. I majored in mathematics, by the way. Oh, okay. And uh, so for people in science and, 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 and technology-type uh, roles, they were trying hard to get them to go into that field. Mm -hmm. So initially, I, I, wanted to, uh, there were, I wanted to do something different, but I was kind of talked into going into the nuclear Navy, mm. which, again, was one of those forks in the road that you take. That's one that worked out fine. Uh, at the time, I was very unsure. Okay. So I went through nuclear power training, which yeah. is a whole year uh, after I graduated. So six months of classroom instruction where you learn all the disciplines and fundamentals around how a nuclear power plant works, from the physics, the thermodynamics, wow. the, um, the math, the, you know, all aspects of it, water chemistry. So um, 
we did that in the classroom and then six months of prototype training. And at those days, uh, there was a large facility out in the desert in Idaho where they had, if you can imagine, you're out in the middle of the desert in Idaho and there's essentially a prototype building that, that houses uh, what a what the power plant on the USS Enterprise looked like or the USS oh, Long Beach yeah. or there was one for a submarine. So they had a similar facility on the East Coast. Now all of it, I believe, is in Florida. Mm. But at the time, we would take a two-hour bus ride to the site wow. and be there for a 12-hour day wow. and then take a two-hour bus ride back wow. to where we lived. Um, and that was for six months. And we did different shifts. Sometimes we were in the daytime, sometimes at night. And that it was what they were trying to simulate is you're at sea operating a nuclear power plant and you're they're trying to give you that experience of maintaining it, operating it, gotcha. you know, et cetera. So that was pretty intense. Wow. And, and then after that? So then I, my ship was the U.S. Enterprise, and uh, that was my first ship. And I went there and served on that ship for about two years. Uh, wow. I was responsible for, initially I was responsible for uh, two of the nuclear reactors. And then later... Uh, they reorganized, and I became responsible for all the electronics around four of the nuclear reactors. So it was uh, it was kind of being thrown into deep water because I was I was only twenty three, twenty four at the time. Oh my god! And I had a lot of responsibility, and I had about forty five people that reported to me. Whoa! So that was you a little the, bit of trial by fire. You were the big cheese even back then. Well, the Navy has this thing called Navy Chiefs, and Navy Chiefs, I think, really run the Navy, to be honest. Uh And they are the more senior uh, people that technically report to the officer, but the they they've got the experience. And so, you're. I was very fortunate. I had a a chief, Chief Ritchie, who kind (laughs) of took me under his wing and helped me figure out how to make it work. Sweet. So I was very lucky. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So then what did you do after? So I, I was on that ship for two years, and then I had an opportunity that was considered to be a, a an engineering role. And uh, they wanted me to get experience topside, so then I moved to a cruiser, and I was the operations uh, CIC officer, which was part of operations. Okay. And uh, that was about two years. And on both of those ships, we made, uh, it was on the West Coast, so we were making trips to, into the Pacific. You know, they called it Westpac. And those would typically be about a nine-month trip wow. all the way over. You know, we'd visit some ports, but we were at sea a lot. Wow. And so I did that for two years with the uh, USS Truxton. And when my time came up where my obligation was coming to an end for the, with the Navy, which was about five and a half, six years after I graduated, um, I had a decision to make, to stay in the Navy or to leave. Mm-hmm. And my decision was to leave the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I had a really good experience, but I think the uh, I wanted to have a family. I didn't want to be gone so much when I had a family. Right. And I also was looking for something that wasn't so rigid. In the Navy, you know, you're all treated the same within your within your, whatever your rank is or whatever your job is. And uh, I just wanted more flexibility and freedom to do other things. Gotcha. 
Um, is that where you met Gary Stevens? No, I met him later. Oh, okay. uh, I met him when, when I was at uh, another company where we both worked. I know he had an affinity for naval boats because in his office he had a, a couple replicas. Yeah, I think it's what's planes. weird is my recollection <laughs> is that he was in the Army, but I'm not sure. It could have been. I don't know. He yeah. was military. Yeah. That's all yeah. I know was that he was military. I didn't ask him what branch or anything, and I knew you were military as well, and I never yeah. asked what branch. And uh, I just remember he did have... He had some boats and planes in his in his office, but I remember I, going, I, oh, I, nice I, nice toy there. I remember and, that too. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, I I never never dared to ask. <laughs> uh, all right. So then then what? That was twenty three year old you. Yeah. So when I got out of the navy, I was what probably around twenty seven. I'm guessing twenty seven right. and. And by that time, I'd gotten married, and my wife and I wanted to settle down, and we wanted to start a family, and mm-hmm. so that's what we did. We it's ended a good up age for that. Yeah, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. To be honest, I knew I didn't want. There were a lot of people that would leave the nuclear navy and then go to work uh, in the civilian, you know, the nuclear. power plants, yeah. nuclear. I didn't want that. Um, I felt like I'd gotten a good taste of that and wanted something different. And uh, so I actually got a job offer from Honeywell in uh, Minneapolis. And so we moved to Minneapolis, which was close enough to Chicago where I felt like we could see family, but mm-hmm. I thought it was a good opportunity. It's a nice I'm, town, too. It's gorgeous. I love Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah, I really did. have been there a did. couple times now. Winters are a little bit rough, but, yeah. but, but I love the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that was a great experience. But very quickly, I realized, okay, you're out of the Navy, you're into civilian life, you're working for companies, now what? And I honestly was, this was a critical point for me where I was just lost, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And so what I did was I just took what looked to be a good opportunity and tried to do my best at it and kept my eyes open for things that, you know, sort of let things take their course. So after I worked for Honeywell for a while, I moved to to work with a smaller technology company that was doing very interesting sort of robotic work and i was curious about that and that was my first taste of getting into the digital era um i worked on a system that required microcomputers as they were called at the time and i i got smarter about that because on the enterprise and the navy at that time it wasn't so much about computers. It was more electronics with vacuum tubes and transistors mm. as opposed to the digital technology that was emerging later. So I, I moved to the robotic company for a couple of years, uh, and then I worked with a company called Control Data, which at the time was a very large computer company based in Minnesota that was doing everything from mainframe computers to they were doing mission computers for the Navy. And they were looking for people like myself that knew something about the Navy, but who also were interested in computers. And that was a fantastic opportunity for me because I was able to then get much farther down the road learning about computers and software. And we cool. we made system software for um, F-14s and A-6s. And, and so that was a very – it was really – Great opportunity for me for about five years. Cool. Should I keep going? Yes, please. So, like, you just basically let curiosity lead you. Yeah, yeah. Well, at some point, I'd like to talk a little bit about, and many of the people that hear this have already read this, but 
a very something I read fairly recently, uh, a commencement speech that Steve Jobs gave. Yeah, it go really ahead. speaks. Let's, it let's really speaks to how when you are doing things in your career, sometimes it may seem random. Sometimes it may th- seem like it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But when you look back, then it all sort of falls in place, and you can say, "Well, of course that worked out that way, and of course that happened." Because when you look back, you can see how one thing led to another right. and got you to some place that you never imagined you'd be in, like me getting into video games. So uh, I, I thought that article was fantastic in terms of being able to get that perspective around how life works for some people. Yeah. I mean, there are, some people have a really amazing idea of what they want to do. They've got it figured out. Right away. Yeah. yeah. I had I've, a, I've talked to a couple of people like that. Yeah, my yeah. roommate at Annapolis always knew that he wanted to run a company. He mm. always knew that he that business and companies, were, that's where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue. Yeah. So just really different way of, of approaching things. Uh, so after I did the, uh, the, the time with control data and worked in computers and software, uh, just, again, kind of randomly, uh, my family and I had really been enjoying going to the Mountain West in the winter and cross-country skiing. We used to go to Yellowstone in the winter between Christmas and New Year's, mm-hmm. which is an amazing place to go because the animals kind of retake the park. And so cross-country skiing there is not just great exercise. You get this incredible scenery, but you see things with the animals that you probably would never see if you weren't there in the winter. Yeah. So that was a great time, and it made us feel like we wanted to move to that area just so Mm -hmm. we'd get more of it. And just by coincidence, I ran into a guy at that time who was looking for talent for a company called Evans & Sutherland in, in Salt Lake City. And they were at the time taking on bigger and bigger government projects. And they were looking for someone who had some some experience with that, like I did at Control Data. Mm -hmm. And um, so they asked me to to join them and start to help them manage some of these government projects they were getting because we were doing flight simulators. And so it was, again, a great step for me because it took what I knew from computers and software and applying it to flight simulators right. or so driving simulators that for that matter. Making, yeah. So we, we did flight simulation systems for uh, the military, for the airlines. One of the biggest projects I have worked on was for NASA, where we basically redid all the simulators for them down at NASA Johnson. Wow. So, and, and uh, so that was a wonderful experience. And what I loved about that was that a lot of the computer stuff that I had worked on up to that point, you knew where the ones and zeros were going, mm-hmm. but you didn't necessarily see it's if an airplane's flying by, you you're not really knowing like what did my computer do that helped that airplane fly by just now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean you know it's sort of at an abstract level, but you don't really get the feeling of it like you do with flight simulation if you draw the the 3D image on a screen that looks like the that's trying to look like the real world that becomes uh, something very different where you can actually see the thing that you created. Yeah. And I, I found that to be very uh, exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. So you're in Utah now. Yes. And you were able to help make these flight sims and some driving sims. Right. Then, then what was your next step? So a friend of mine and I would 
we both worked there, we were often talking about how much we wanted to start our own company. Mm-hmm. We were both at that point where, for me, I was uh, 40-something, and thinking this is the time. If I was ever going to have my own company, this is probably the time to get on it. Yeah. So we used to meet every Wednesday evening at the University of Utah Student Union. We would go and sit in the corner and just brainstorm, like, what could we do? What what kind of company could we start? Mm-hmm. And one time he came to the meeting very excited and said, take a look at this. And it was an announcement about the PlayStation that was going to be coming from, from Sony. Uh-huh. And it it was being launched, I think, in Japan in 1994, but it was being launched in the U.S. in 1995. And when we looked at the specifications for what the PlayStation was, it looked pretty similar to the kind of specifications we had been working with with flight simulation. Uh, the, the, the architecture of the PlayStation and everything was similar enough that we thought, well, we know how to, we could, we could put together a team that would know what to do with this. Yeah. So that was it. Then we decided that's what we're going to go do. Uh, we're going to cool. start a game company. We're going to make titles for the PlayStation and see what happens. So You so, made titles for the PlayStation? Yes. That's yeah. amazing. What was your title? Uh, we, when, the, when the game launched, we, we had one year to make two games. So we made Twisted Metal and we okay. made Warhawk. Nice. Uh, uh, and both of them were great for the PlayStation, I think, because they really showed off the 3D potential of, of yeah. that machine, probably as well as any titles that they had. And uh, they both, both titles did really well, Twisted Metal especially, which became a franchise for them. And wow. so that's, that's how we got into it. And the interesting thing was that neither of us really knew that much about games or about how to make games. So I think if we had known everything about it, we may not have done it because I think sometimes ignorance is, is bliss, bliss, as they yeah. say. And I think we, we just jumped in. And I, I look back, and that was a huge, a huge uh, moment for, for both of us. But for me yeah. personally, it was a big risk, yeah. uh, a huge risk, uh, because I, I wasn't wealthy. I didn't have money to start my own company. We had to kind of scratch to, to find mm-hmm. some money to to put it together but we eventually did um and that that kind of re- one of the other things i wanted to mention about this um years later i was working on my mba i had i had worked on my mba when i was in minnesota i continued to work on it when i got to utah and mm-hmm. it took me 10 years to get my mba wow like so I, I definitely get the award for tenacity <laughs> but uh the last course I took was in intercultural communications. It was an elective. And uh, I wish that I could remember the professor's name. It's, she made a big impact on me. Because mm-hmm. the very first thing she did at the beginning of the class was she asked for a volunteer. And uh, nobody raised their hand because nobody wants to volunteer, especially when it's, it's an, open-ended, an open-ended question like that right. right off the bat. So nobody would raise their hand. Right. And finally, uh, a young woman up in the front raised her hand. And so the professor went over to her and gave her a gift Hmm. and said, I just was looking for a volunteer for someone to take this gift off my hands. So here you go. And she opened it up. It was a really nice pen and pencil set. And and she said, my point in doing this, and if, if this is the only thing you remember from this class, I want you to remember this 
And to be honest, it is the only thing I remember from that class. <laughs> Good. I mean, she made an impact. Uh, and and she said, um, risk takers win. Ooh. It's a really great thing because she says, look, if you're thinking about taking the risk, it means that you're already sort of motivated to do something different. If you were completely happy in what you were doing, you wouldn't even be contemplating the risk because yeah. you'd be content. You, you, yeah. So if you're discontent and you're thinking about a risk, um, odds are that if you take take the risk, that it'll pay off for you. And I think that's true. And I think that that was in my head at the time that we started our company, which is called Single Track. Um, was I I felt like this is a risk I needed to take. Nice. So it worked out. Fantastic. So you. You started making video games at the launch of a PlayStation 2. Did you ever play any Nintendo or Atari or? A little bit. I played a little bit of games, but to be honest, the very first video game I ever saw was a Pong machine in a bar Mm -hmm. when I was about 22 years old. So when I grew up, they didn't exist. No, yeah. Yeah, Even even now, when I I think about entertainment, I'm just more, I I feel more comfortable with with movies and Mm -hmm. television. Yeah. but I, I saw the excitement of, of video games, and I did see, see it as, for me, it was really scratching an itch around doing something creative. Mm-hmm. So up to that point, everything I had done was, you know, whether it was working on a ship or working for a computer company was building systems for the government, it was much more black and white about mm-hmm. what we were doing. But video games you don't really have a specification for a video game until the day you ship it. Right, right. And so you start out with a clean sheet of paper and you try to imagine what would be fun. And I, I love that. That's cool. Uh, you said there's no, no specification but uh, until it's launched, but really there are. <laughs> From my experience, when I was working at the same company that you were, uh, there was a game we were working on and there was a, um, it, I don't want to say the title of the game because it's not really that important, but there was a shooty gun that shot meatballs. It was dumb. It was like, it wasn't an actual gun that shot bullets. It was a very kid's game, very bubbly, and it shot meatballs. Well, what color is a meatball? Mm-hmm. Meatball has usually typical marinara sauce, which is red. Right. Well, in Germany, you can't have anything that shoots that has red in it because we did something bad to them a very long time ago, and we're, it's still not cool. <laughs> so they don't want anything in their games that are, that are reminiscent of any kind of hurt like that. And so we had to change. What, what do you change a meatball to? Alfredo. No. <laughs> No, because then it looks like something completely different, and you definitely don't want that. You don't want anything like white shooting globs <laughs> anywhere. No, thank you. So I think we went to a, um, I think it was an, an uh, either a pinkish, so to be more like a vodka sauce, or a, maybe even purple or blue. I think we just went mm. with a weird color because there was no way that we could get around 
that particular color. Right. Either either red or right. white were just not appropriate for a yeah. kid's game. <laughs> yeah, well, I exaggerate a little bit when I say that there's no specification to the day that you ship it. But what I mean by it is that there isn't a requirement that the customer's given you that says, this is what I have to have. Gotcha. You can change it, change it as you Any need day. to yeah. right up to the very end. And we usually do. Right. So, That's true. That's so I, I kind of liked, but clearly it's, there's more creative freedom at the beginning when it is a clean sheet of paper. The farther you yes. go down the path, the more you get more locked into your decisions as, right. as you go. Right. So like twisted metal was definitely a off the cuff. I mean, you knew kind of what you wanted to do, but. Yeah, there was a producer at Sony who had a pretty good vision of what he was looking for. Uh, he was coming into it with more of a 2D mentality of like, this is a game that, because every, everything at that point it was 2D. Yeah. And he said, this kind of game, but what, what would it look like in 3D? Mm-hmm. So it was it became this very kind of fun, interesting, collaborative thing where it was sort of transforming his creative vision to something that was implemented in a 3D world and us figuring out how to take, you know, a, a mentality of simulation and making it fun. Yeah. Because simulation isn't always fun. Right. For for one of the things I always think of is in Twisted Metal, we had to figure out how cars would turn in a video game versus how they turn in real life. Right. If you played Twisted Metal and the cars turned like they do in real life, it wouldn't be very fun. No. Not at all. So we, we were learning how to make games, and they were learning how to build things in 3D, and it was a good collaboration at the beginning. Wow. That's really cool. My dad, when I was a kid, he said that uh, he, I would play Nintendo a lot, and he would get mad at me because that's what parents do. Uh, and he would say, get off that video game. Get, you're never going to make any money playing video games. And the first time I got a job working at a video game testing place, I called him up. I was like, hey, guess what I'm doing for a job right now? And he's like, what? And I said, I'm testing video games. He's like, kid, what? And, I, and so we had a good laugh that I, I finally got him, you know, because you can have a career in video games. It yes. Is, it is possible. It wasn't possible when he was a kid because right. there were no video games when he was a kid. But right. it's possible now. And that's really cool. Did you ever have a moment where you had an affirmation of your career? Hmm. Well, Whatever career that was, whichever one you want to pick and choose, because we just kind of dipped yeah. our toes into the video games. Yeah, I think I think when along the way, I would say that in all the things I'd done to that point, I kind of felt like I I was succeeding. I was I was doing a good job, and but I think the um, with video games, the reason I stayed with it, you know, from the time I got started in it until now, mm-hmm. is that I I think I'd found the place that I really enjoyed. I, I just found a lot of personal satisfaction. I, I, I love, one of the reasons I love video games is that it's this amazing convergence of technology and people and creativity. Mm. Um, your typical game studio has this cool blend of engineers and artists and designers 
and type A personalities that want to be producers. And, (laughs) and, and somehow (laughs) when you're running a studio, you have to find a way to get those pieces combined in a way that something great comes out of it. And everybody feels like they've had their place in it. It's really a team sport. That's what I say a lot. Mm -hmm. Making games is a team sport. For sure. Uh, And, and so, you know, you, you have this opportunity to learn from other people that think about things differently than you do. The artists look at challenges differently than the engineers do. Yeah. And uh, I love, I just love that, um, that mix. So I think that's why I've been with it for so long. Cool. Besides Twisted Metal and Warhawk, do you have any other notable games that you've worked on that you're like super proud of? Or, I mean, you've worked in a lot of, we're going to get into a little bit yeah. more of what you've done, but I'm just curious if there's ever a title that that you're like, man, that was awesome. Definitely. Um, there are the ones that stand out in different ways. I mean, there are the ones that were very satisfying from a creative standpoint. There are the ones that were really satisfying uh, for other reasons, maybe they weren't brilliantly creative, but they were remarkable in what they accomplished. And then later, my role changed in some ways where I wasn't necessarily managing a studio and developing the games, but I was doing other parts of the process. So um, to answer your question, one of the games that comes to mind is uh, when I worked at Disney, uh, we made a game uh, based on the, the movie Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I worked on that game. And and I think the reason why that one stands out to me is that it was a turning point for us at that point because we were basically trying to do things differently at Disney at the time. We were vertically integrated. We were making the whole game and Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to work with a studio in England called Traveler's Tales. Mm -hmm. And I love that studio. They've gone on to do incredibly great things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we made a, a game that that did really well and represented the movie very well and had the opportunity to, to, um, to meet uh, people associated with the Narnia uh, intellectual property, the estate of, uh, and the, uh, the launch of the game was pretty cool. The initial in in England, there was uh, an event at um, the Albert hall. Oh, and, uh, and, so anyway, that was that one stands out just because it was a really big event. Um, but later I worked with Blizzard and worked on some really great games there uh, from a different standpoint. In those days, I was managing the international business. And so I really enjoyed that time with Blizzard. And later at Blizzard, I managed um, the group that basically made the an- uh, animation and the videos, the voiceovers, that sort of group which was another growth opportunity for me because it was thing it was associated with things that i hadn't had a lot of responsibility for in the past like essentially the making the animated storytelling for games was different similar but different to making a video game and that was really fun cool you mentioned narnia and that was one of the um that was a really important game when we when I met you or knew you rather that was before we moved buildings, I think we were in a weird building for a little while, but um, 
I remember working on Narnia. I remember it was a four CD disc thing for the uh, for the computer, and you had to um, change. There was four different CDs for it because okay. it was a very large game, and one of the it's four different characters. You play as all four kids, and they're all tethered to each other. And as a QA person, one of the things I noticed, uh, we had this really cool bug. <laughs> it's cool from our perspective, not cool for the, from the yeah, user's right. perspective. But I remember Lucy, the youngest, what, since she was tethered to everybody else, you could make her run in circles around a log and then end up chasing all four kids. And so then uh, we, as the test group, we decided to put Benny Hill's theme music to that video. And we made a little internal video for ourselves to make ourselves giggle. And it was really fun. I remember bringing over my manager and being like, come here, look at this, this is really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was really, really fun. And then that Christmas after it came out, that holiday season, there was, um, it's always, it's always a lull in the video game developing, uh, right after, right during and after the holidays. Cause everything is theoretically shipped by Thanksgiving. That way it can get on the shelves and be sold for the holiday season. So I remember, um, an option for me was to work in the commute, the, um, customer service department. And because I was so familiar with that particular video game and uh, all of the other customer service people, as soon as they would get a call for Narnia, they'd put it on, hold please, <laughs> hold, Cassie, you got another Narnia call. I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for calling Disney Interactive Studios. How may I help you? <laughs> um, so it was a really, really fun uh, memory for me too, just being able to being so intimate with that game and being the customer service person to like really help people through it. You know, that was really fun. Uh, and then right after that, I, I left and you left and we both went on our merry ways. So was that when you went to blizzard? Yes. I went to blizzard after, uh, after the Disney experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I was at blizzard for about nine years. I went to um, Foundation Nine Entertainment, which is Gryptonite, which was Amaze Entertainment, which is who did Narnia for, or at least they for the had handheld, a, maybe for the yeah. handheld. And when I got there, um, I was working on Pirates of the Caribbean Three for the Nintendo DS. And when I got there, and I remember touring um, the building just before, because I went up there to work for like two or three weeks to make sure that the programmers there were doing their jobs right basically they sent me up there as a qa lead to crack people into shape i was like (laughs) i'm but i'm below them (laughs) i don't understand how i'm gonna do your bugs uh anyway it was a pretty fun experience for me but when they gave me the tour they were like oh and this is our meeting room and i looked and i was like it's a there's a closet on the outside and they go oh yeah we just we pitched narnia and that's how we got it is we redecorated this entire Thing. I sort of remember Do that. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So in order to go into the office, you had to go through a wardrobe. Yeah, and then I remember that. And then when you opened the door, it was all. It's funny. I hadn't thought of that, but when you Narnia mentioned it, themed. it comes back to mind. Yeah. Yeah, great. And I remember having meetings in there going like, huh, interesting. They're still not redecorating it yet. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, we're, we're past that game. But anyway, there was a there was a really big moment for them. They were really stoked to be able to offer that as an experience right. and, and get the job. <laughs> so they did it. Uh, what um, did you have any side hustles? And some people have like a, a separate job that they do just to make ends meet or or, or to help bump them up um, or. Uh... No. Okay. No, I, I don't think I ever really had time for that. When I, after I left Blizzard, um, I, again, I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I thought I was going to retire, to be mm-hmm. honest. And uh, I found that. Uh, if anything, I have been, I haven't done very well with, retire- with retirement. I, <laughs> I keep finding things I want to do. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I have done miscellaneous things over the last number of years as a retired person. I've worked, worked with a company, more of a full-time thing for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been consulting. I've on some boards of advisors where I'm working with studios and giving them advice nice. on how they should approach certain things. Uh, and recently I've, I've made an uh, announcement that I'm working with an investment bank here in, in Seattle to help companies that are thinking about being acquired. Oh. Uh, because again, that's a big, it's a big event for a, let's say it's a studio that has done well, that it may be getting acquired and has never been through that process before. Yeah, and great. I have both, I've, I've been in, the, in that process, both from selling my studio way back mm. to, when I was at different publishers where we would acquire some studios. So I've seen how it works. I've seen where some of the pitfalls are in terms of making those things work successfully. And uh, so I think I've got something to, to say to help people that are considering that. So, so it's got a little bit of a mixed bag. Sure. So even in your youth, uh, even in your thirties or twenties, never had a side hustle no, I probably should have, but I, I, I <laughs> between between regular life and my my jobs, the traveling and so yeah. forth, I just never really had time to do anything else. Something that I've not heard you mentioned is there's nothing creative necessary. I mean, video games are creative, but there's nothing that I, that's calling out to me is music, art, painting, um, singing. Do you do karaoke? Do you? Do oh. You, yeah. Act? Do you um, do a little? How do you blow off steam? What is the? Well, well, two things. One is about creativity at work, and then creativity personally. So I play the piano, not all that well, okay. but I play the piano and enjoy that a lot. Um, I initially was too shy for karaoke, but after being in Asia quite a bit, uh, I really got into it nice. in places like China and Korea. Uh, probably too much probably at some point people had to pull the microphone away from me but yeah. once i got over my shyness uh, i was i was obsessed a little bit and um let's see what else well in the, in the work that i did i never touted myself as a creative i mean that wasn't who i was i wasn't an artist i wasn't a designer right but i always took some creative satisfaction from the standpoint that i felt that being in the room with those people and making sure they were working together well took some creativity and there there were some times and I'm not going to get into the into these um, but there there have been a number of times along the way where I did contribute an idea here and there that made a difference creatively cool. Cool. and so I know where those are and I yeah. had a lot of satisfaction from that but I never 
I never try to portray myself as a creative person in that respect because my focus is on something else. Yeah, gotcha. That's pretty cool. I will toot my own horn because I don't mind. <laughs> I'm not in the video game industry anymore, so here I am. But I, uh, my favorite game that I ever worked on was, it was called High School Musical 3DS, and it was at Disney, or at... Um, I mean, it was Disney, but you were at Blizzard by then. But um, it was at Gryptonite. And High School Musical 3, you'd think that's a third in a series, right? And for the DS, it's going to be low. But it was for High School Musical 3, and it was Disney. And those things sell just already. It was 2009, and it was the highest grossing game for our entire studio for that year. It was baller. And what I liked about it was that it was an all-female-led team. So I was the producer. We had a female designer, female developer, female lead lead artist, all-led female. Um, The first month and a half was tough. (laughs) It was was tough getting to know, you know, we, we were talking to each other like we were talking to dudes. And we were like, why is this not going right you know and then we realized oh wait a minute oh i just i can talk to you like you are we don't, you. we're not dudes yeah like we're not dudes and so we changed the you know we had a powwow together and we changed the way we uh, talked about stuff and i was like i want a game to succeed do you want a game to succeed yes i do great can we just do that then fantastic <laughs> and then we had the highest grossing game like that was that's for me awesome. a wonderful yeah. achievement yeah, yeah. that is awesome it was great it was wonderful and it beat out spider-man <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty cool uh so for me that that was really great and i would never have gotten there if it wasn't for my time at disney and um and my time with you even though you were my double skip level and i barely interacted with you but um i still learned a lot from from learning from the people who you were you were teaching and you were mentoring and that really i think that was it was the trickle down for that yeah really helped well one thing that we haven't talked about uh that actually is one of my favorite topics when you get into talking about making games tell me is about culture yeah okay um i think that and this was something that i think i had kind of had a sense of it but i really saw it uh when i was at at blizzard the mentality of how to get everybody to work together and make something great. And mm-hmm. what, you know, the, the fact that every creative group, every organizational group creates its own culture. It really is the how that goes with the what it's, we know what we want to make. How are we going to do it? And yeah. how are we going to do it with each other? It, is it going to be a very respectful culture? Is it, is it going to be a place where we know how to have, constructive conflict in the in the name of getting to the best idea yeah um just how how's it going to work here and i think that when i in the things i'm doing now that's always a topic that comes up because it always gets into the questions about how are you guys working how are you how is this team working together how mm-hmm. because that will if it's got the wrong culture you probably won't be successful and a lot of times some of the problems come up is when you have one company working with another company and they have different cultures yeah. and they have different values. Yeah. And that's where a lot of conflict comes into the picture. So I think 
part of the name of the game these days in my mind working with different companies is to make them aware of some people don't even think about it they mm-hmm. it just they take it as a given well this is the way we are as right. opposed to actually thinking about it and questioning whether the culture they have is good should it be improved is it what they want it to be right and the the thing that i believe is that it should always be aspirational you should always be trying to make it better but you need to know what your values are. So yeah. I think that when you speak to the experience you had on that game and having an all-female team, it speaks to the fact that you guys, sounds like you were able to have good conversations with each other about the culture on your team, yeah, about how you wanted it to work. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, it's one of those topics that people don't pay enough attention to. Yeah. Unfortunately, that company ended up quote unquote, from their words, salting the earth. They disbanded our team right after that and salted the earth is what they said. What does that even mean? It meant that they were never going to have the four of us work together again. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's how, that's how you're going to do? Okay. <laughs> and then, and we never did. I mean, we, were, we worked all at the same company together and I went on to make a couple more games, but after that I was, I was done. It was unfortunate. It was really, really unfortunate. Because I thought we were going to have a really cool culture from from that. I thought that was like a really good stepping point. But all they could see was that first month and a half. They weren't able to see the success. The 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 outcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. Eh, Whatever. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Now. Now it's a very long time ago. Um. So never had any side hustles. How about a passion project? Was there any, I, I am now recently on the board of directors for Rescue Foundation, which is my new passion project. And I've been working with them for about four years now. Uh, it's a 5013C. What, do you have any passion projects? Anything that? I did. There was a time uh, that goes back to, um, about the year, somewhere around 2000, 2001. But my wife and I both had strong feelings about um, uh, the rights for the LGBTQ community. And so we we got involved in the human rights campaign. And uh, my my wife especially, but both of us were pretty involved for a number of years. And it was at a time when gay marriage was definitely sort of on the bubble. And uh, so we took a lot of, we were really happy to see how that worked out. Um, yeah. Later, when we when I was when we were in Los Angeles, um, we were, worked with HRC for a while. But then later, we became involved with the Trevor Project. Oh yeah, that's and my such wife a good was project. on the was on the board there, and uh, so that's we were great. we were involved in that project. So that was probably one of the major side passion projects that that I was involved in. Um, but since that time. Um, not so much. We've been more focused on other things. Is anything, and please tell me to shove it if you don't want to answer <laughs> this, but did anything happen in 2001 that, you know, did anyone come out to you or is that, was there an impetus that said, oh, I need to go with this? Or were you just like, this is a really crappy thing that's going on and I want to, I want to help out. I, I think it's kind of all of the above. I think okay. um, my brother was gay. And uh, had a had a difficult time. He was uh, yeah. twelve years older than me, so he was 
growing up in a little bit of a different time, but for sure. it was a very difficult thing for him, which had a big impact on me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we also had a number of friends and who were gay and we wanted to be supportive because we really believed that they should have the rights. rights. Yeah. Yeah. They're humans just like all of us. So, well, thank you for that, for doing that. And thank you for answering that question too. Sure. In, uh, now I know that you keep saying that you're at the end of your career, but in five to 10 years, where do you see yourself? Uh, boy, that's a hard one. You know, I'm, it, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it seems like it's a lot easier looking backwards than it is looking forward because mm-hmm. I don't know where things are going to lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I do think, uh, just given my age and my time in life, I don't know that 10 years is going to be so relevant for me, but for the next few years, I've, the things I'm working on now, the consulting, the, uh, in various ways, I think I'll continue to be active in that uh, for the next few years. Cool. Very cool. If you got to plop down, I don't know, some being came down and said, we're going to start your life all over, but you're going to start from teenage 15-year-old you, would you choose the same path? Or do you think you'd get involved in video games sooner? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really cool question. Um, and I have asked myself that, you know. Um, and I always come back to... I like the life I've had. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I could imagine these different forks on the road that I took different paths, but I kind of like where I've ended up. I I've had a good life, and so I I don't I don't think I would change anything. Um, it's easy to say, yeah. I mean, going back to the fact that I started out wanting to be a baseball player, I think I would have been a good coach if yeah. I would have gone into yeah. coaching, and I've th- often thought about that. But who knows? And mm-hmm. like I said, I, I think the experiences I've had have been phenomenal. I've got, I love my family, and you know, things have worked out pretty well for me. So I'm, cool. I'm happy with that. I might not choose basketball if I was you. I, <laughs> yeah, never <laughs> was never my sport, and landing on my face wasn't such a good thing either. <laughs> right. I think that might be the only one that I would change just from hearing your story so far, but... Yeah, you know, I was talking with my, my, I've got an older son, he teaches at TCU, and uh, TCU is? is, It's a university in Fort Worth. Oh, okay. And uh, so, you know, he's always fascinating to talk with, and I brought up, uh, there was a Star Trek episode um, about the empath, I think is the one where there's an alien being that can take away any pain that you've had in your life. Oh, wow. Take those memories away from you so that all of your memories are only the good things that have ever happened. Wow. And there's a really cool scene where William Shatner is like, no, I, I want my pain. That's, I need my pain. And we talk about that a lot because I think for anybody that's gone through life, you've got the ups and the downs. Mm-hmm. But you kind of need the downs to, to kind of get relevance yeah. is and to learn from and, it's part of life. Yeah. So that I'm sorry I went off on that tangent. No, but, please. But that's more what, tangents, that's what more it makes that's what it makes me think of when you ask that question about would I change my life? I probably wouldn't. Yeah. I had cancer at one point. Wow. I wish I didn't. But on the other hand, if an empath could take that memory away from me, it would be my loss. Right. Yeah. 
and you wouldn't be able to learn from those mistakes or apply that learning. I, I feel like in that scenario, if, and I don't know if they explored this in that episode, I haven't seen all of the Trek episodes, um, although I am a Trekkie as opposed to a Warzy. I don't know if they call them that, but I'm more of a Star Trek fan than a Star Wars fan. I remember at, at, at Blizzard, one of the questions was typically asked was, which is better, Star Trek or, or uh, Star Wars? And it was always fascinating to see how people would try to answer that question because right. there was no right answer. Right. It's whatever yeah. your preference is. Um, but it, I think that, you know, again, without having seen the episode, I wonder if they explored this. The As a kid, you um, you learn not to touch a hot stove because it's hot and you put your hand near it and you might have a negative memory of touching something hot and recoiling from that because ouchie it hurt right so if the empath took away all the negative memories they might have taken away a time where you touched a hot stove for example putting it in very simple terms and then does that mean that you look at a stove and you just reach into the oven and you grab the pan that first time and holy crap this is hot because you didn't learn that because you didn't retain that memory any right, longer. Right. So you're just literally reliving the bad things. Yeah. And it, it applies on that, almost, that, that physical thing, but also uh, emotional, yeah, emotional pain. Heartbreak. Of things that you've that gone stuff. through that really hurt, but you learn a lot from it. Very eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, uh, which is a Jim Carrey yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know the movie. I just haven't watched it in a long time so it's a tearjerker yeah 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 Yeah. uh i'd almost want the empath to only take away the good memories so i could relive those again so i could relive a first kiss again and and relive a a you know all the happy you know things of slurping that soup the right way or whatever that yeah yeah no i know what you mean hadn't thought of that but yeah Interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. Let's work on it. Let's get empaths <laughs> to start working that out. Um, cool. Thank you so much for talking to me. I've got one last question. This okay. is the final, the final question. And what is your advice for anyone who wants to, I usually say, get into whatever job that you're doing. Consultant would be what it is. But a consultant, consultant for video games. So what is um, your advice for somebody who wants to become a consultant for a video game company or video gaming in general? Yeah. Well, I think, I think to do that, you need a, a sufficient you know, experience in the game business. To, so you've got something, some basis of knowledge to, to pass along. Um, so I think to answer that question, you really have to think about how do I get into the game industry? How do I? Right. And to that, I... I've been asked that question and I always advise, especially younger people, like don't focus on the video game industry per se, focus on the thing that you think you love. Think about the discipline that you want to be in. Do you want to be an artist? Do you want to be a designer? Do you want to be an engineer? Because those, that's the first most fundamental question is like, what, what do you think you want to do that you, that you love? Mm-hmm. In, in my case, when I got into it, it I was older but I was still doing that. I was thinking, well, I, I really love building teams and getting teams to work together. I think I can apply that 
in this business um, yeah. in a different way. So I, I think the, the thing is to think about developing those skills as an artist. And, and I, a lot of um, people may not realize, but math and science, yeah, video games are all about math and science on some level. They're, yes, the art's important and the design is important, but the design has to take into account a lot of things that are mathematical in nature, mm -hmm. physics in nature. Yeah. I mean, you're basically building a world. Well, all the rules of physical rules of, of, of life apply in those worlds that you're building. Yeah. So yeah. if you want a ball to bounce, you need to figure out how to create a collision volume around a surface, and that's all math. Right. So, so essentially, <laughs> right. people that want to be in the game business do well with your education mm -hmm. and whatever you want to apply it to in terms of whether you're want to be a musician and you want to do that in video games, be a good musician first. Right. So that's, that's how I would answer that. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. And I, I appreciate um, having you in the space that I live in and getting to see you after so many years of, of not like, I think the last time I saw you was 2006. Yeah. I can't do them. You're the mathematic person here. So maybe you want to do the math. We don't have to talk about it, but um, thank you so much. This has been lovely. Yeah. I've thank loved you. it too. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Cassie Townsend. Theme song is wrapped by Greg Lestraps. Chris Kempton is our associate producer. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash workhistory. Show notes have additional information on Michael. Remember to rate, review, share, and subscribe. So, what's your work history? 